What you've heard versus the word. November 17, 2020. What you've heard versus the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we'll come to you right now. Thank you for another day. Thank you for watching our work last night. By your grace, only you know, Lord God, why you woke us up this morning. But we're grateful and thankful for it. Thank you, Lord God, because this day, we want to trust and believe in you like we should. And Lord God, open our spiritual understanding to get something out of the word and to realize, Lord God, a lot of things we've heard over over the years may not necessarily be true. But Lord God, open our understanding. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> All right. What you've heard versus the word. Now, it has been said, muster a lot of that with that verse, with that um phrase. It has been said, when you pray about something, pray one time and leave it at the altar and go about your business. Well, let's see what the word says. St. Luke chapter 11, verses 9 and 10 from the NLT. Jesus talking. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. So a lot of times, some churches have said, yeah, when you pray about something, just take the altar one time and leave it there. And we've heard that for years. Some people have heard that for years. I know I did. You hear that for years. But then you realize, you look at the word, and it says something different. God wants persistence out of us. We have to have persistence when we pray. So persistence means doing something over and over again until you get an answer. And in St. Luke 11, verses 9 and 10, and see, he tells you that. I'll say that again. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Now, <clears throat> it said, keep on asking. It sounds like persistence to me. Keep on knocking. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. It will all sound like persistence. It doesn't sound like one time. Alright, next one. It has been said, since looking on a woman with lust in your heart is considered committing adultery, I might as well go on and commit the act. Alright. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 to 8 of the NIV. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. 
Whoever sows the pleases flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows the pleases spirit from the spirit will reap everlasting life. God's not stupid. And all the time I've heard people say that, a man says that, he says that laughing and giggling and smiling. Oh, I might as well go ahead and do it then. No. And another one, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4 from NLT. Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those commit adultery. So, people say, oh, well, if, if looking at a woman is lust, that's one sin. Now, if you're dumb enough to go and commit the act, that's two sins. You just pile them up. Don't don't they all equal one sin or, or the act means nothing? No, you still commit adultery. All right, next one. It has been said, God helps those who help themselves. Now, in all honesty, yes, to a certain extent. But what happens when you go as far as you can go? You need some help, don't you? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 9. Bear with me on this one. And I'll see. <clears throat> Once, now it's the saint. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. Obeying the devil was the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passion, desires, and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God, who is rich in mercy, and he loves us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Next verse. <clears throat> Six. For he has raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are, because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. Yet Paul loved his wrong sentences. Eight, God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Nine, salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done so none of us can boast about it. 10. For we are his best peace, has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do good things he planned for us long ago. Yeah, I said 1 to, one to 9, but I was 1 to 10. So, in essence, if you're saved now, you can't take any credit for it. God is a gift of God. If you're not saved, I want you to know it's a gift of God. 
you can't work for salvation. So, so don't try and do a bunch of works that sound good and say, okay, God, now, now you can accept me. I did a whole lot. It doesn't work that way. It's a gift. So whether you're saved or not saved yet, just understand that this is a gift from God. Salvation is a gift from God. It's not a reward for any good things we did so that we can boast about it. And being a former Roman Catholic, I can tell you that that's primarily their... uh, their, their doctrine that you got to do a lot of good works and then God will accept you. And that's wrong. That's why they don't want a lot of their members to read the Bible. They want them to just stick with what they tell them. But read the Bible for yourself. You'll find a whole lot of things they're telling you are not right. And I can say that because I've been there. Our right, next one has been said. Has been said. Do all things in moderation. All right? The Bible. Jeremiah 29, verse 13 from the NIV. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. See, no moderation. All your heart. Not just Sunday morning. Not just twice a month. But all your heart. So you want God to do things for you? You say, well, how can God not do nothing for me? Were you trying to do things in moderation? Like, you're trying to drink alcohol wisely? You're trying to eat certain bad foods just in moderation? You're trying to seek God in moderation? You can't do that. It's not going to work. God has to be first. Well, not at all. So if you're looking for God to do something for you, He said, you're going to find me after you seek me with all your heart. And here's, another, now here's a, a New Testament one. Jesus said in St. Luke, chapter 14, verses 25 to 27, in the NLT. <clears throat> a large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Now, you might say, whoa, wait a minute now. I got to hate people? No. Listen to it carefully. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. He's not telling you to hate anybody. He's telling you that he has to be so far above everybody else that it would look like to other people like you hate them. But you don't hate them. You're still going to take care of them. If you have to, you're still going to give them what they need. They're in need. But by comparison, it has to look like you hate them. That's how much you have to love God. He said, otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. So that your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers and sisters, with their natural brothers and sisters, or spiritual brothers and sisters. And he said, yes, even your own life. 
Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. If you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. So when you pick up your cross, your cross daily, you're supposed to do whatever. You don't know where it's going to take you. Well, it may take you into, into some rough situations, but you got to take your cross every day. Because you say, oh, I love Jesus. Well, you got to take your cross every day then. Another one. Well, next one, rather. Has been said. Has been said, ah, just follow the Ten Commandments. You'll be all right. All right, well, Romans chapter 3, verse 20 for the NIV. <clears throat> Romans chapter 3, verse 20 from the NIV. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the word of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Hmm. So, he was talking about what I there for. Before, before that, he was talking about the law and how nobody consider themselves righteous because of the law. Because the law was there to bring, make us conscious, like it says here. Through the law, we became conscious of our sin. So if we suddenly don't put any other gods before me, like the brings up the date, he said, don't put no other gods before me, like, hmm, I'm on social media too much. He said, under your father and mother, you're like, hmm, I cursed him out last week. You know, it makes you conscious of what you shouldn't be doing. I'm not saying if you're a saint, you're doing that, and hopefully you're not doing that. Well, you're not doing it. I'll put it positive. You're not doing it. <clears throat> but it's conscious of our sin, but that's not what makes us righteous. Also, Matthew, same Matthew, chapter 22, verses 37 to 40 from the NLT. And this is the most important one. Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So if you want to keep the Ten Commandments, this is how you keep them. St. Matthew 22, verse 37 to 40. Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So if I do these two commandments, I'm going to fulfill the other ten. So somebody's telling you, just follow the Ten Commandments, you'll be all right. No, I'm not justified by that because the Ten Commandments is part of the law. So I just read before that nobody is going to be declared righteous in God's sight by keeping those things and then you can't keep them successfully unless you do Matthew 22 because if you don't love the Lord and you don't love your neighbor as yourself you're not going to be able to do the Ten Commandments you can't do the Ten Commandments successfully 
Because if you love God, you're not considering it to God. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you're not considering it to your neighbor. Period. Let's believe some positive for a change. Excuse me. St. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 24. This is from the Pure Word Bible. Now, to us, this is going to be bad grandma. I'm telling you right up front. Excuse me. This is going to be bad grandma, but this is taken from the original Greek, according to what they call hermeneutics which is the study of interpretation. Okay, like I said, it's going to be bad grammar, so deal with me. <laughs> it may even sound like you bollocks for a minute. So, starting at verse 17. And he, Jesus, and he going out into the way of travel, one ran forward and kneeled to him, questioning him, Oh God, good master, what should I do that I might inherit eternal life? And Jesus spoke to him, Why are you calling me God of good? Definitely no one is God of good except one, God. You know the commandment. Should not commit adultery, should not murder, should not defraud. You must honor your father and mother. And he answered and spoke to him, Oh, Master, these things in every way I have maintained from my youth. Jesus looked upon him, and God loved him. And spoke to him. You must go away. You must sell as much as you have, and you must give to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven. Also, you must come forward, taking up your cross, and you must be continuously by your choice following me. Then he was gloomy with that spiritual communication. He went grieving because he was having many acquired possessions. And Jesus looked around, saying to his disciples, How hardly shall those that have riches enter into the kingdom rule of God? And the disciples were made awed over his spiritual communication. But Jesus answering again said to them, Children, how difficult it is persuading them with riches to enter into the kingdom rule of God. Now, I chose this pure word because because that one word right there, persuading. <clears throat> in other words, people say, oh, you can't be rich and, and, and uh, be saved. Yeah, because in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he tells Timothy to charge them that are rich in this world to distribute to the poor. So you can be rich and be saved. The difference is when you try to persuade a rich person to give to the poor, to give up everything they have and follow Jesus, he said, that's how difficult it's going to be. He said, children, how difficult it is persuading them with riches to enter into the kingdom rule of God. So, so he's saying anytime you talk to somebody rich, Tell them they can't give up everything they have and follow Jesus. They, they're gonna be like, Are you crazy? But they're gonna go away sad. But he said, That's how difficult it is to persuade somebody to, to, to uh, separate themselves from their material monetary wealth. He said, It's gonna be very difficult. That's why rich people 
motherfuckers people are not gonna go to heaven. Cause unless they have that kind of mind where where they wanna give to the poor, they're gonna hoard it from this for themselves and their family. So that's what he means when he said that. But I don't wanna say I don't wanna say he set the man up, but he knew where the man was going when he said Give everything you have and follow me. He already knew what, how the man was going to respond. And that's why he had to show his disciples that that's what's going to happen when you deal with rich people. So he's letting them know that. <clears throat> Alright, next one. It has been said, do unto others before they do unto you. Alright, I got a few on this one. You've heard that before. Do unto others before they do unto you. Psalms number 28, verse 3, from the NLT. The psalmist says, Do not drag me away with the wicked, with those who do evil, those who speak friendly words to their neighbors while planting evil in their hearts. Hmm. That second part is the most part I want you to hear. Those who speak friendly words to their neighbors while planting evil in their hearts. So they may be talking nice and kind and friendly to their neighbor, but they're going to do to them because they think through paranoia, to which to what it really is. They think their neighbor's going to do something to them, so they're trying to beat them to the punch. So they're planting evil in their hearts. <clears throat> what can I do to him? Because I know he's going to do something to me. That's paranoia. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 29a. And I'll see. Don't plot harm against your neighbor. Very simple. First part of that verse. Don't plot harm against your neighbor. That speaks for itself. Proverbs chapter 3. Next verse, verse 30. This time from the complete Jewish Bible. Don't quarrel with, with someone for no reason. If he has done you no harm, or she, don't quarrel with someone for no reason. If they have done you no harm, why you picking a fight? Just leave it alone. Proverbs 30, verse 6 from the NLT. Do not add to his words, or he may rebuke you and expose you as a liar. Hear that? Oh, <clears throat> so when you say stuff like doing to others before they do unto you, you know that's not how it goes. So why are you adding those words? Why are you changing those words around? Don't do that because he's going to rebuke you and expose you as a liar. You're changing his words around to suit you. Ah, no good. Next one. It has been said. What do we need with those Old Testament stories? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 6 to 11 from the NLT. <clears throat> now, this is talking about when the children of Israel were in the wilderness and they came through the Red Sea and they went to the other side. And all during that time in the wilderness, they were giving Moses a hard time. Moses and Aaron a hard time. And when Moses went up to the mountain and he was gone for 40 days because he was getting the Ten Commandments, 
This is what was happening down in the camp while he was up in the mountain. Okay, so 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6 to 11. Now remember the question. Why do we need those Old Testament stories for? Somebody might say. What do we need them for? Well, now these things occur as examples to us keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. People in the camp. <clears throat> Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, that made a golden calf, as it's written. Then, after making the golden calf, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples, and were written down as warnings for us, on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So why do we need the Old Testament stories? Because they're there for examples for us. Because if we're saved now, the culmination of the ages, which means all the stuff that Jesus says is coming, it's form, it has fallen on us. So we have to live right and be right <clears throat> and not do what they did. He said they said the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. And too many people are doing that. They're too involved with the world and want to have the same kind of fun the world is having. And he said, we should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And one day, 23,000 of them died. So sexual immorality immorality covers a lot. Yes, it covers not just homosexuality. It covers a lot of premarital sex and having a while and going to porn shops and being addicted to porn and all kinds of, it covers a big ground. And one day he said 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ. No, don't don't tempt Christ. Don't do something you know is dangerous and take it all the way to the edge to see if God is going to save you or not. No, don't play like that. Because what happened? He said, and we're killed by the destroying angel. They lost their life. So don't test God. That's a commandment too in Deuteronomy. Don't test them. Don't tempt them. These things happen to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. That's right, and don't, don't, don't forget it. So why do we need Old Testament stories? They're there for a reason. And a lot of the Old Testament prophecies are for the book, uh, uh, repeated in the book of Revelation. That's why we need the whole Bible. Not just the New Testament and Psalm. We need the whole Bible. Next one. It has been said. Stop waiting on God. He's waiting on you. There's a popular one. Stop waiting on God. He's waiting on you. Now here's Esther chapter 4 verse 14. And that Esther was a queen, and her father figure Mordecai 
was a relative, said this uh, while she was queen. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. For you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but for that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. So, saints of God, you're, you're considered a royal priesthood. So who, how do you know that God has put you here in 2020 for such a time as this? So if we're here and we're alive now, we're supposed to be here and be alive now. The thing is, we better do our job. And help turn people to Christ and stop being so selfish and only thinking of ourselves. So he's telling you, look, relief is going to come from another place if you don't do your job. So don't think God is waiting on you that you're holding up his plan. He's not going to do anything until you act. No, God's always got somebody to do what you won't do if you won't do it. So he says, when I arrive from another place, but as far as you and your family, your father's family, you're going to perish if you don't do, do the right thing. Because at this time, Haman wanted to kill all the Jews. So he said, if she doesn't do what she's supposed to do, Haman will carry out his plot. And that's why your father and his family are going to perish. So do what you're supposed to do. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Saints, if we remain royal, we're royalty, we can't just say, oh yeah, I'm a king, I'm a queen, I'm a this, I'm a that. No, we can't just do that. We have a job to do in that position. And also Psalms 115 and 3 from the NIV says, our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. And that's the truth. So one of the plan of God so don't ever think that God is waiting on you and that you're holding up his plans. You're not holding up his plan, but he just wants you to do what you're supposed to do. What he asked you to do. <clears throat> but he's not he's not waiting on you. You're not holding him up. Don't ever think you're holding God up. Well me me either though. I'm betting I'm holding God up. Oh I'm not I'm not ready to do that. Lord, I can't do that. Oh I can't oh. Okay, I'll get somebody else. Alright, next one. <clears throat> Has been said. Ah, just be a nice person. You don't have to be born again. Alright, that's first Psalms 143 and 2B. NIV. For no one living is righteous before you. Hear that? So you can be a nice person all you want. But as far as God's concerned, no, the psalmist knew no one living is righteous before you. So in front of God's eyesight, there's nobody righteous. Nobody. And you can't ignore what Jesus told Nicodemus in St. John chapter 3, verse 3 from the NIV. Jesus replied to Nicodemus, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. So, it was said. 
So don't let anybody else tell you, oh, you don't have to be born again. How do they know? It just means they don't want to be. Or they just come out and say it. I don't want to be. But they come out and say you don't have to do it. Oh, yes, you do. Jesus replies in the name is very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Period. <clears throat> and don't think of born again as this big, hard to reach, jump through hoops uh, kind of thing. Being born again involves a change of heart. Change your heart, change your mind, change your direction. And following Jesus. Repenting of your past sins up to that person time. Doing a 180 degree turn. Going in the other direction. Let you just know you're going to follow him all the rest of the days of your life. You trust him for everything. Interesting things will happen from then on. Don't think all your problems are going to go away. But it'll, it'll take you through your problems. <clears throat> it'll take you through your problems. So you want to be born again. Has been, has been said, his next one, has been said, God doesn't see my sins. He only sees the blood of his son. Oh boy, this is a big one. Let me say that again. <clears throat> has been said, God doesn't see my sins. He only sees the blood of his son. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's slow down. Let's put that in the right context, please. Once and for all, let's put that in the right context, okay? Because when you say it like that, that leaves a wide open of interpretation. Like I said, I've heard this one a lot. Now, my question is, what sins doesn't you see anymore? I hope you mean your past sins, because God sees everything we do, and sin is just and no sin rather no sin is just brushed aside without confession and repentance New Testament 1 John chapter 1 verse 9 for the NIV if we confess our sins he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us for all unrighteousness that's New Testament. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So why did I say whoa, 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 whoa? That's because if I read the sins like, like it is, God doesn't see my sins. He only sees the blood of his son. That implies that if I do something wrong now, it doesn't count. I don't have to repent. I don't have to confess because it's under the blood all by itself without me having to repent or confess or say anything. That's why that can be taken out of context. So I'm trying to put that back in context. Yes, God doesn't see my... All you have to say is God doesn't see my past sins. He only sees the blood of the Son. And that would be right. But when you just lay it flat like that, God doesn't see my sins. He only sees the blood of the Son. That implies that no matter what I do, I'm good. Oh, no. 
And here's another reason why, why you have to confess and repent. <clears throat> Romans, also New Testament. Romans chapter 2, verses 6 to 11 from the NIV. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. Listen to that again. God will repay each person, each person, didn't say accept. It said each person. God will repay each person according to what they have done. Period. To those who by persistence in doing good, they seek glory on immortality. If that's what they're seeking, he's going to give them eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, it's going to be wrath and anger. And remember, wrath is only reserved for his enemies. It's not reserved for his saints. So he's giving you a tongue, giving you the impression that if you're saved, you don't fit in that category because you're going to do what's right. But make no mistake about it. <clears throat> he's going to repay everybody according to what they have done. Verse 9. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Verse 10. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Verse 11. But God does not show favoritism. Hear that? God does not show favoritism. So throw out that replacement theology of, oh, he doesn't need the Jews anymore. He has a church now. Throw, throw that garbage out the window. Yes, he does. So he's still going to bless. And he has in store a lot of good things for the Jews. We got to read our Bible, man. All the stuff is in there. And we're telling people stuff that's not true. All right, another one. <clears throat> If you think a person thinks that, oh, God doesn't see my sins anymore. Oh, yeah, well, here's another one from Romans, New Testament. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the NIV. We're familiar with this one. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. So, don't say, I'm covered in the blood. The wages of sin is death. Period. Don't add your own little what I said before about Proverbs. Don't add or take away from his words because you're going to be found out to be a liar. Paraphrasing there. So don't add nothing to this. Don't take nothing away. The Bible says for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Once again, it's a gift. Can't work for it. Can't earn it. There's nothing we can do to make God give us his gifts. It's a free gift. We just have to accept him. Next one. Moving right along. It has been said 
If God is a loving God, why is the world full of so much chaos? And you know that's a common one. If God is a loving God, why is the world full of so much chaos? All right, Isaiah chapter 24, verse 5 and 6a, NLT. <clears throat> the, earth suffers, the earth suffers for the sins of its people. But they have twisted God's instructions, violated his laws, and broken his everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse consumes the earth. Its people must pay the price for their sin. So why is the world suffering? The earth suffers for the sins of its people. It has been going on for a long time. People may ask, why? What do we do? Well, it says they have twisted God's instructions, <clears throat> violated his laws, and broken his everlasting covenant. What do you mean twisted God's instructions? God, if God says do this, we do the opposite. God says don't do that, we do the opposite. We violate his laws. I'll, I'll just put it this way, we violate his laws. He's against certain abominations and certain things. And we, a few years ago, lit up the White House in rainbow colors. And the rainbow, by the way, belongs to God, not to LGBTQI+, or whatever they call themselves. The rainbow belongs to God. It's the covenant he made with Noah after he flooded the earth. Don't forget that. And broken his everlasting covenant. People say, Yeah, I'll follow you, Jesus. And they break the covenant. Well, the Jews broke the covenant so many times. But because God promised Abraham and promised David that he was going to keep the Jews forever, no matter how bad the Jews got in the history, God may punish them, but he always came back to them. Because he can't go against his own promises. So therefore, a curse consumes the earth. Its people must pay the price for their sin. So we're sitting on a pallet cake. So why is the world full of chaos? We've gone contrary to God for centuries. And we don't even feel it anymore. Here's another one has been said. I think this is the last one. Why are so many professed Christians judgmental? You know, that's a famous one. Why are so many professed Christians judgmental? Well, there's a warning or two about that to them. Same Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 and 2 from the NIV. <clears throat> Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. Oof. Don't forget that. I think most people know that one. They shouldn't anyway. And then we got 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12, 13a for the NLT. Another warning to saints. Paul says, it is not my responsibility to judge outsiders, 
In other words, somebody who's not saved. But it is certainly your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. Boy, how far away are we from that? God will judge those on the outside. In other words, leave the judgment of unsaved people to God. You stay out of it. Because Paul, Paul said, it's not my responsibility to judge the outside of this. So I should, I should not, excuse me, I should not be doing it. So why are so many judgmental? Or why are some so judgmental? Well, it's either that psychological thing of wanting to look good while making someone else look bad. Or they don't take those previous verses seriously. Alright, I'm going to close with a prayer. Lord, no, I mean this sincerely. In a prayer. Lord, help us. There's no problem you can't solve. No distress you don't see. And only one sin you won't forgive. Unfortunately, humankind has put itself in the position of suffering. We did it to ourselves. And the saints of God plead for your mercy. You hate sin. You love your children. And no sin will go unpunished. The book of Romans and Psalms tells us you love mercy. You love showing mercy. So please show it again. And your, and your seasoned children believe that you will. We believe you will. You'll show mercy because that's you. I believe your prophecies. And no things must go a certain way. Have your way in our life. And give us the strength. To accept whatever your will is. You know, that's hard, but Lord, give us the strength to accept whatever your will is. And all this I'm asking in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.